Isaiah 66, one through two, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is this house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Lord is looking for people who believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God has created everything in this earth, and there's nothing in this earth that we could build to somehow gain greater favor for God. God is looking for people who trust him, whose hearts seek him, and he works mightily on their behalf. Today, um, some of you may be thinking we're jumping back into the book of Jude. Some of you may have forgot that I was preaching in the book of Jude. Um, but we're not going to Jude today. We're actually going to do, start that back up next, next week. But today, I wanted to look at Luke again. I was really being encouraged by the series, the Advent series in Luke. Um, and I just thought it would be appropriate to spend one more week in the book of Luke, looking at a passage that's often overlooked. Uh, because usually at Christmas time, once you get to the birth of Jesus, that's on uh, either the Sunday before Christmas or on Christmas or Christmas Eve, and then boom, we're done, we're back on to the next thing. Uh, but the book of Luke continues. I don't know if you know that. There's a lot more than one, two chapters. Um, and I, I wanted to focus in on Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 21 through 38. Because there's, a, there's an interesting story that happens in this passage of Scripture that is highlighting two people in particular who really are no-name people. Um, and so we're going to look through this. We're going to see uh, what God is saying to us here in this book. And hopefully we'll have something with us to carry um, to kind of set our gaze and our focus for this year. Um, which I think will be beneficial for each of us. So <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, uh, open up with me to Luke uh, chapter uh, 2, and we're going to be getting into uh, the passage here. But before I read, just to give you a little bit of a uh, reminder, right? This is right after Jesus was born. So all the amazing things that happened... Uh, angels in the clouds, calling shepherds, shepherds come, they witness the birth of Jesus. Uh, this just amazing climax of what is happening in that point in the story. Uh, this amazing thing that set forth a complete change in our lives, a change in history uh, happened. And so Jesus has been born. The Savior has arrived. Um, and this is what Luke said. He says, and at the end of eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, can you hear me? Yeah? Okay. Um, look, if you can't hear me, speak up. There's nothing formal here. We're, okay, we're good. Um, and the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written 
in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. <clears throat> now, we had been looking through this passage in this book, and we've been seeing Mary uh, in, as this exemplary Christian. Right? She's a person who trusts the Lord. Uh, she's the one whom rests in the Lord, and the Lord overshadowed her with the Holy Spirit. The Lord birthed the Savior in her, um, and the Lord is working mightily through her. And the text wants us to understand that Mary is not someone who's rejecting what the law is asking him to do, but she's actually someone who's trusting God and following through with what he's called her to do. So on the eighth day, uh, which is uh, when all males in Israel were called to be circumcised. Um, this was written in Genesis 17. It was asked of Abraham, all of your, on the eighth day, all of your children after you, all the sons, all the males are going to be circumcised. And so Jesus was circumcised um, and in accordance with what God had commanded. And then after that, there was these requirements um, for Mary. Um, we find in, in Leviticus, uh, also in, uh, I believe in Exodus, um, that there's a certain period of time where a woman, after she gives birth, is unclean. Um, now, some of you are going, well, how could God make them unclean? Now, that's, call them some kind of category where they're just deplorable. It's actually a benefit for the woman to be called unclean after a birth. That means no man can touch her. It gives her time to heal. It gives her time to be with their child. Um, and so Mary is following through with what God had called for in his law that for 40 days uh, she would remain isolated with her child. Um, this is actually modern medical practice. <laughs> you know, isolate yourself with your child for a while because the child needs it. You need it. And so Mary was healing. She comes and she comes on the 40th day to the temple. And this is the first time that Jesus shows up at the temple. And he comes and they, they, they're doing all these ceremonies that they're required of doing, right? The circumcision, uh, presenting of the firstborn, uh, the, the sacrifice for her uncleanliness, and, and also a dedication of the child to the Lord. So she comes and she pays the price. Right, which the text says was two turtle doves, or a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons, which is where that Twelve Days of Christmas song gets that. Um, but that was a requirement, right? That when when you came in in Leviticus uh, twelve, there was a, there was a requirement of a sacrifice for the uncleanness of the mother, and that requirement was either a lamb or two turtle doves, or a lamb and a turtle dove, or or two turtle doves if you couldn't afford it. And so the text is showing, right, these, these people are not wealthy people. Uh, they are humble people. They are bringing the humble sacrifice. Uh, and, and, but they're doing the right thing. Um, and then <clears throat> the law of Moses allowed for, <clears throat> I don't know if anyone is, has a bottle, or can run out and grab me a bottle of water. Is that possible? Um, thank you, John. Um, the you were able to buy back your child as, as a, the firstborn is mine, declares the Lord. Um, Exodus, uh, Exodus 13, I, I believe, says. Um, and 
or Numbers 18, sorry. Everyone, everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which shall offer the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, um, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem, and their redemption price, at a month old you shall redeem them, and you shall fix five shekels in silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is uh, 20 geras, which means nothing to you. Um, but God was saying that, that everyone who opens the womb is mine. Thank you, sir. You're amazing. <clears throat> and they're, they're mine. They open the womb, they're mine. Um, but you're allowed to buy them back. And so in, in custom, like, the parents didn't even have to bring the baby with them to the temple. They could just go there, bring their shekels, drop, drop, drop it off, pay for the baby, and leave. But here, they're bringing Jesus to the temple, and they're presenting him just like uh, Samuel was presented as an offering to the Lord, that he is yours. You do with what you want with him. There's, there's no discussion of payment. There's no discussion of anything. This Jesus who came and opened the womb is the Lord's. And he's there for the Lord's purpose. Now, all of us know this. We've, or most of us know this, right? We've, we've been through church. We went through Christmas. We know Jesus' purpose on this earth. But Luke is illustrating the fact that, this, that Jesus is God's sent one. He's, he's there to be dedicated to his service, and he comes to the temple at the right time. And while Mary's doing all of this, uh, Luke pulls out this man named Simeon, and he singles out this man named Simeon that the Holy Spirit had come over and given a prophecy for, spoken to him personally. Uh, look with me. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed by him, to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought him in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said... Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, and his, Mary his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that th the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So, the Holy Spirit's working, the Holy Spirit leads, the Holy Spirit grabs this man, Simeon. Who appears to be, as the text is writing out, a common person. He's not a priest. He's not an important person. He's a common man who was righteous and devout. Right? The text says he's righteous and devout, comma, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Right? This man was righteous. He was, another way you could say that he was faithful. He had faith. He believed God was who he says he was, and he acted in accordance. 
And part of his belief, the outpouring of his belief, as the text is saying, is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's patiently waiting for God to move and act on Israel's behalf. He's patiently waiting for God to work. And he's exercising his faith in God, and God is honoring him in the process. So much so that this common man, not a priest, not the high priest, right? Jesus, the Messiah, is born, and he's in the temple. You would think the appropriate thing would be to have the high priest announce that this Messiah, the Lamb of God, is here. But that's not what happens. It's a common person. It's a common man. And not only does this common man selected, God speaks through him and prophesies through him, revealing exactly who this Jesus was in the beginning of this book, who many will, will not understand reading, reading the rest of, of, the, of Luke until the end. But he sees it and he proclaims it. And the Holy Spirit overshadows him and says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. This old man who's been living a long time, waiting a long time, finally sees the Messiah as a baby. I mean, this is an amazing moment in this man's life. But what he says is even more amazing. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He doesn't say, my eyes have seen the Savior, my eyes have seen the one who's to come. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Completely linking Jesus to salvation. I don't know if you know, do you guys know what the name Jesus means? God saves. Jesus means God saves, or God is salvation, or God is my salvation. Some people get confused in this. Why is Jesus' name Jesus and not Emmanuel? What is, Jesus is the, is the Greek term for the Hebrew word Yeshua. This is why a lot of messianics call uh, Jesus Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus the Christ. Um, or Joshua is also translated. So Hebrew name is Joshua. Jesus, Yahweh, Yeshua, Yahweh is my salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And this man through the Holy Spirit sees it and he looks at this baby and he's not just like, man, I have the Messiah, the baby's here, but no. I have seen God's salvation because when I look upon the Son, that is where salvation is. Jesus is salvation. And he's coming to be a revelation to the Gentiles and glory for Israel. Right? He's coming. This salvation is coming not just for a particular people, but this salvation is coming for everybody. Everyone. And in a sense, this, this no-name Righteous person, faith-filled person is proclaiming for the first time the public proclamation by a man of the Savior to the world. And he's a light to the, revel- to the Gentiles, a revelation to the Gentiles. 
those who are far off, who don't understand, who don't know, Jesus will bring salvation to them. And those who are near, it'll be glory for them because Jesus will bring salvation. And he continues his, his, um, he continues his talk, he continues his, uh, his prophecy to Mary, right? This is not going to come without pain. It's going to pierce your soul. It's going to be for the rising and fall of many. Those who are prideful will be cast down. Those who are humble are going to be lifted up. And it's really interesting how Luke's putting together the beginning of this gospel because it seems like as Jesus is coming, it is all those lowly who are being lifted up. All those who are humble and contrite are being lifted up. Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? They're priests. They're from a, 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 have a good lineage they're coming from, but they're barren. There's so much shame at that time in being barren. Not only for Elizabeth, but also for Zechariah. And they have to carry that into work with them, into the city with them, everywhere they go. Shame. Something's wrong with me. And God goes to them to have the person who's going to prepare the way for the Savior. The Spirit comes upon Zechariah and prophesies of the Savior. And then Mary, this no-name woman from a no-name town, God comes upon and births the Savior of the world. A no-name person. And then when the Savior is born, who, does the, who do the angels proclaim it to? Shepherds. No-name people. Not the high up people of society, but humble people sleeping outside with their sheep. And God is lifting up the humble, simple people to do miraculous things for his kingdom. Now, after this little excerpt of Simeon, we have this other little interesting passage that shows up. Verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with, with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she came, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this woman, a widow, which again, at that time in that society, very low down in societal position. Widows couldn't, I mean, women couldn't really take care of themselves. So she's in the temple probably enlisting into service and being taken care of at the temple, but she's exhibiting faith in her life. She's, I mean, it says day and night, fasting and prayer. And this is, we don't know exactly how old she was, if she was married for seven years and then she was widowed for 84 years or if she was 84 years old when this happened. Uh, the text isn't completely clear, but that's a long time. 84 years. You're considered old at 84 years. 
you have to forgive me. The Bible says so. (laughs) But widowed, alone, 84 years. And she's just constantly coming to the temple every day, praying, every day, seeking, every day, pursuing, every day, looking for God to do something, every day, seeking him day in, day out. And I I think it just passes right over us, the immensity and the difficulty of what that is. Every single day, we look over our year, we look over last year, and we gave these things out last year, right? Bible reading plans, Some of us finished them. Some of us lost them. Um, Because it's difficult continually seeking the Lord when you don't see things happen. She believed. And she became one of two people who are bookending Jesus' first arrival in the temple. God himself coming back to the temple for the first time. And it is a no-name man who's righteous and devout, and it is a widow who is righteous and devout. And they're essentially preaching the pre-gospel of Jesus to the people around them. That very hour should begin to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The Messiah is here. Redemption is here. Salvation is here. God is working in these two people's lives. And I think as we observe this and we think about it and we, we see it, we see a connection to what God has always said that he would do. He would look favorably upon those who believe who he is, who humbly seek after him. He will elevate the lowly if they just seek after him. They don't get caught up with all the things around here that God himself made, trying to find purpose and, and value in what I can build or what I can gather, but simply seeking after the life that is in Jesus, the hope that is in God, the creator, not the creation. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right, this is like the climax of Hebrews. Is this hall of faith in chapter 11 where the writer of Hebrews makes that statement. Without faith is impossible to please God. Then he says again in Hebrews eleven six, and without and without faith, <clears throat> for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, and He's a rewarder of the He rewards those who seek Him. And we see the reality of that in Simeon and Anna. In Zechariah, in Elizabeth, in the shepherds, in Mary, and Joseph.
God is still looking for people who would simply believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is looking for people who will look at the world in the way in which he looks at the world. Who will take him seriously at his word. Who will seek him. Who will trust him. Who will look for him to work mightily on their behalf. Believe that he can do anything through anyone that he pleases to do. Believe that if I ask anything according to his will, it will come true. I mean, this, there's such a clear example of this right now in society. Damar Hamlin, anyone know who that is? Everyone should know this, everywhere. Guy had a heart attack in a football game. Fell over, 21, 22 years old. 24. CPR administered, recitated him, got him to the hospital, put him on a ventilator, and ESPN commentators are praying for this guy on live TV, which never happens. And the guy's breathing now on his own. God's working a miracle. God can do that for the little things in your life. He can do that for the big things in your life. He can do that for that errant child. He can do that for a truck you need to get. Right? God can work in amazing ways in you. It is simply believing that he is. If you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm about to read a lot of scripture. Um, <clears throat> and I'm going to do it because I, I want you to see these people, and I want you to listen to what these people do, and I want you to view them as, as you would view yourself and see how God is defining acts of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. God created the universe with his word. So that what is seen was made out of what things that are, um, <clears throat> was not made out of things that were visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through faith, though he died, he still speaks. We could spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. How God reveals those who trust him will live. The blood of Abel speaks out of the ground. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had, not, God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended the world, or condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
Like that's a real person who at a real time when there was never rainfall in the earth built an ark for a flood. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, <clears throat> heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand of the seashore. These all died in faith, having, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers, strangers and exiles on earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For if they had been thinking of that land which they had gone out, they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had, who had received who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that, that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Just to remind you, these are real people with real life circumstances that really don't look like what God had promised. And they're following through. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking towards the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people of this crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail, to tell me, tell, fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, 
who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves on the earth. All of these, though commended, though commended there through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is our lineage. This is our family. This is our call as believers to live like Jesus is real. To walk into life trusting him with every aspect of our life. Most of us here have no idea what persecution looks like. There are many Christians in the world who do. Nigeria is not a place that you want to wake up in as a Christian. Afghanistan, not a good place to wake up in as a Christian. Iraq, not a good place to wake up as a Christian. But we're here with opportunity before us every single day to see God work in a mighty way. This is why Hebrews says, therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses has nothing to do with the people out there. It has everything to do with the witnesses who are witnessing to the faithfulness of God in our trouble. Those who have gone before, those who stopped the mouths of lions, those who were sawn in two, those who were destitute, those who were living in caves. Those who had a government that was doing evil things. Those who had bosses that didn't treat them right. Those who had every reason to be depressed and despairing, but chose to make a choice of hope in the moment and to bring God their weakness to the Lord and see God bring it, turn it into strength. My hope here today is not to condemn you for not being faithful. That's not helpful. My hope here today is to remind you of a faithful God that we serve. Amen. That you sitting there, me here, God can do amazing things through. Not because of our pedigree 
our education, or our position, but simply because we love him. We believe that he exists, that we, we actually tremble at his word. What does that mean to tremble at his word? Well, it means to read it. If it's not true in me, Lord, help me to grow in this. Apply this to me. Lord, I messed up. I believe that you've forgiven me. Spirit, please lead me in paths of righteousness. Lord, I believe that you have me exactly where I need to be today to do exactly what you wanted me to do. That I can't run outside your will. You are sovereign. You are big. You are everywhere. And your sovereignty over my life includes my stupidity. God can lead me anywhere he wants me to, and where he wants me is right where I am. And I've spent 20 years as a Christian, and I know that my faith is little and nothing. Today's the day to start. God, I believe that even you can cure, can cure my apathy. God, I believe even you can work in me to bring about the passions that I had when I was youth. When I was a young Christian and I was so excited for you and I was coming and I was singing and everything was going on that you can actually restore that to me in my old age or my middle age or my 20 age. That you actually have a purpose for me here this year. And like last year when that preacher, I don't know who he is, Asked for everyone to pray that we could lead someone to the Lord, each individually. That I could pray for that this year. And that this one year, if I seek after the main thing in life, I can actually expect the Lord to come through. God, help me to know you more today and help me to lead someone to know you. Because I see in your scriptures when your Holy Spirit overpowers someone, it speaks of who you are and people recognize it because your Holy Spirit works. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. But Lord, this year, this year, I want to bring someone into the kingdom. Work in me. So, this sermon's been titled, A Resolve for Faith. We have a year in front of us, a year we can choose to despair the changes that are coming or whatever, or not. I have no idea what's in your life. We can choose to just let life pass by in comfort and ease. Or we make a resolution in ourselves. Say, Lord, I want to know you better today than I knew you yesterday. And I want to wake up every day with a desire to know you better today than I knew you yesterday. I want to be open for the assignments that you have for me. To pray for those who are hurting, who just simply have a need. To put myself out there, to see you work. To trust you, to be the God that you are because you are great and merciful and kind. And you really love us. So no matter what comes, no matter what happens, I'm resolving, Lord, to trust you and say, as we're about to sing, it is well.
Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you look upon lowly people. You look upon the people who are rejected, who have, in the eyes of the world, no value. And it's those whom you choose. Simple people. So Lord, I ask that you would work in us, that you would work in me, that you would work in this church to be a people who believe that. That you'd work mightily on our behalf this year. And that you would grow our minds, our vision, our love, and our faith in you deeply. And that you'd work through us, Lord, to expand your kingdom here on earth until you come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.